bulletin. Please take a sermon outline from the program, and if you don't have one, put up your hand and Lydia will get one to you, because it will be helpful to follow along with me this morning. I'm going to leave the screen on because I have a brief uh, video clip to show you. At the top of your sermon notes, one more time, is a wheel that explains what we have been calling relational wisdom. Secular psychologists talk a lot about emotional intelligence, but this is the Christian version on steroids, relational wisdom. And you see again that there are three components. The three components to relational wisdom are God, self, and others. And there are two dynamics within each of these. There is awareness. We are to be God-aware and engagement, God-engaged. Self-aware and self-managing, self-engaged. And then other-aware and other-engaged. And Ken Sandy in his seminars, in his, his blogs and articles on this subject are so helpful as we have been exploring these in depth. Today we come to that third section, the other awareness. But all through the Bible, the three are woven together. And in my text this morning, Galatians 5.13, Galatians 5.13, you see it there. Each phrase lands on one of these components. It's fascinating. Look at what he says. For you were called to freedom, brothers. What's that? That's God awareness, gospel awareness, Christ awareness. What has Christ done for you? He has set you free from the law of sin and death, free from guilt, free from the power of enslaving sin. Freedom in Christ, you are aware of God and the gospel. Then, notice the next phrase. Only, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What is that? That is a call to (laughs) self-awareness. And here he's saying, yes, you're free, but be suspicious of your own heart. Because if you're like Pastor John Yenchko, you will be tempted to use your freedom to indulge the old man, the sinful nature, and, and, and don't do that. Be self-aware, suspicious of those unique areas where sin still tempts you and where habits lead you astray, and in, be, instead manage yourself in a way that turns from sin and loves righteousness. But then, now the third component, see the last phrase here? But through love, serve one another. And this is the component of other awareness and other engagement. And I, re- I define them for you. I give you Ken Sandy's definition there right in your program. Other awareness is your ability to understand and empathize with the experiences, emotions, and needs of others. And then other engagement is your ability to serve, work with, bless, and resolve conflict with others. All three, so rich in one little short verse. It's not a bad life verse, is it, for the Christian? We saw this when we studied Jesus, you know. 
Two weeks ago, we studied the life of Jesus, and what did we see in terms of this third component? What we saw is that Jesus was always aware of others. And time and again, he saw the widow and her dead son, and then he engaged her. He saw the leper who was unclean, and then he touched him. He saw the crowds, and they looked to him like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them. He was aware of them, and then he engaged them, and it says he began to teach them. And Jesus Christ, in heaven, in glory, saw humanity, saw you, his covenant people, trapped in sin and guilt and shame, and he left heaven and engaged you and died for you. The greatest engagement, other engagement ever, the, the just dying for the unjust, engaged on your behalf while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, Christ died for us. So, Jesus is the perfect example of other awareness and other engagement. But now, you who are united to Jesus, the same is to be true of you. Over in Thailand, there's a life insurance company that made a commercial, a beautiful life insurance commercial about a young man who just displays, and it's, you know, it's idealized, but he just displays, you can lower the house lights, Steve, who displays remarkable other awareness and other engagement. Pay close attention to the responses of the people, to the young man and the responses of the people he engages.
ราะสิ่งที่เขาได้คือได้แก่ความรู้สึกได้เห็นความสุขเมื่อเราเห็นเห็นเห็นเห็นเห็นเห็นเห็นเห็นเห็นเห็นเห็นเห็นเห็นเห็นเห็นเห็นเห็นเห็นเห็นเห็นเห็นเห็นเห็นเ
The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. What is the opposite of a lifted up countenance? It's a down countenance. It's a despairing countenance. What is the opposite of a shining countenance? It's a dark countenance. It's an unfriendly countenance. And what God wants from you, you who have received, have you received the smile of God through Jesus Christ? How many times have I told you that written above your head, Christian, written above your head are the letters Y-E-S. Yes, God is for you in Jesus Christ. Because God smiles with delight over His Son. This is my beloved Son. And you, you are united to Christ by faith. All the benefits that come to Him are yours. God's yes is over your head if you believe in Jesus. The smile of God. You know, again, I'm not that well read in neurology, but, but I've, I've learned this week that a smile can change a room. Here on Sunday mornings, as you come in, or if you go to work, if you smile, you know what will happen to the person to whom you smile? They will respond with an impulse. Now, they might not smile, but they will respond with an impulse because inside your brain are what are called mirror neurons. Did you know that? Inside your brain are mirror neurons, and they respond in kind. And so, if you smile at me, my impulse is to mirror that and to smile back, and then you smile to someone else and to someone else, and it can change the, whole, the mood of the whole room. Wouldn't we love to see that? in our church, in our home groups, in our Sunday school classes, in our youth group, to just greet one another with a smile. Why should I do it? Well, well, you know what? There's selfish benefits to it. I just want you to know, studies have shown, studies of your endocrine system, your hormones, show that people who smile have lower levels of cortisol and adrenaline. Now, cortisol and adrenaline in your body create stress. They were designed to create stress. Do you need more stress in your life? (laughs) I know, you guys. You do not need more stress in your life. And studies show that smiles actually reduce cortisol and adrenaline levels. How about that? You say, I'm not a smiler, Pastor John. Well, you know, I don't want you to be inauthentic, but I'll tell you this. I want all of us to decide to like people. I want you to like people. Do you know why? Because people are made in the image of God. Every human being you meet is made in the image of God. We say in this church we are pro-life, and we are pro-life. We should be pro-life. But that's not just before birth. That's also after the child comes out of the womb. Every person. We are to bless, and we are to like You might not like everything about them, but you have to decide when you especially meet someone new, I'm going to greet you with warmth and with a smile. Decide to like people. 
After all, God has let the light of His countenance shine on you, so you do the same. And what would you rather experience? Would you rather somebody come up to you and say, Hello! Is that what you'd like? Would you rather a warm smile and a warm greeting? Well, do to others as you would have them do to you. Well, that's point one. Point number two is the main point of the sermon. And it is, Galatians 5.13 says, rather serve one, through love, serve one another with empathy to show interest in another person and to have compassion on another person. And we go back to this video, the power of that video as some of you were wiping tears from your eyes, the power of the video is that the young man saw the people around him at the point of their need, and he spoke and acted on their behalf. Wasn't that beautiful? Kindness, gentleness, patience, hope, and joy just infused into them. We call that empathy. Empathy, here's a definition, is the ability to discern and vicariously experience the thoughts and feelings of another. I'll read it again. Empathy is the ability to discern and vicariously experience the thoughts and feelings of another person. There are people who are hurting. The psalmist tells us about this. It says in Psalm 69, verse 20, I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. And I know that's been some of your experiences. How tragic that is. Instead, we are to come to each other, and Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, we are to draw out the heart of other people. Last week... I use this verse to tell you that your heart is complex in self, in terms of understanding yourself. Remember that? It says, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. It's like a deep well. It is complicated to know yourself. And we discovered that. But, but a wise man, a man of understanding, draws it out. And you draw it out from another person. You learn how to draw out um, the heart issues that another person is facing. So many of us, so many of us score low on the scale of empathy. And I asked my wife this week, I said to Nina over the phone, I said, in the Yenchko household, who has more sympathy in their character? Me or the dog? (laughs) We have this little dog, and you know, when I come home from work, I'm usually full of energy, and I come in the house bounding with joy, and I come in the house all excited, and the dog rises up, and she runs in circles of joy, does the dance of joy with me. Sometimes I'm pensive. I'm sedate, subdued, maybe even frustrated. I sit down in my chair. And the dog comes and she jumps up on my lap and she puts her head on my chest. 
Nina, who has more sympathy and empathy in this house, me or the dog? She said, I'm sorry, John. <laughs> it's the dog. And I have a lot to learn, okay? So I'm here today as the chief repenter, the chief of sinners here. I have a lot to learn. I am very clumsy at, at other awareness and other engagement. But friends, as a pastor for 34 years, I can't tell you how many times I have heard, not just from a wife, I've heard from a husband or from a wife, uh, and, and they say to each other, they say of each other, pastor, we have no emotional connection anymore. And maybe she says, he's just oblivious to my own feelings. And he says, I just can't take it anymore. I need someone who will listen to me, who can relate to me. I've stepped into employment disputes. And the worker uh, in the small company, the worker says, my boss couldn't care less about who I am. My principal couldn't care less about who I am. My boss is, has no concern for me. All he's concerned with are his productivity goals. And, 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 and the boss says, these people, all they want is their paycheck. That's all they want. And here I've taken a risk. I've started this company. I'm doing my best. And you'd think they'd actually care about the success of the company I'm so heavily invested in. And they share my vision, but they don't. It goes both ways, doesn't it? Husband to wife, wife to husband, boss to employee, employee to boss. Teenagers. And the teenagers say, my parents don't get me. And they just ignore me or they lecture me. And they don't know what's going on. It's a failure of empathy, isn't it? I looked for comforters, but I found none. Oh, friends, we have to draw out each other's hearts. And there are people who are rejoicing. And we have to rejoice with those who rejoice, Paul says. But then weep with those who weep. Allow them to weep. I remember the first the first week I was here in New York, 14 years ago, a gentleman in the church and I had lunch together, and he just lost his job. But it was worse than that. He was betrayed at work. And what he thought was going to be his life career was pulled out from under him. And we sat down at the lunch table. I said, how are you feeling? And he said, I believe God is going to take care of me and I said to him, well, I know that's what you believe, but I asked you, how do you feel? And his shoulders slumped and his head went down. And he said, I feel so betrayed and I am so hurt. And by drawing him out, by allowing him even to weep, I was able then to enter into a heart discussion that I think was very healthy for him. 
and for me. You see, we rejoice with those who rejoice, but we weep with those who weep. Peter says, finally, 1 Peter 3, 8, he says, finally. Okay, Peter, you said all of that. Now you said, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do you have this in your heart? I know I'm stepping on a couple of hearts right here. But I tell you, if you know God, you will have this, because it's all through God. It's all through the Bible. God the Father tells us in Isaiah 40, 54, verse 8, with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you. Jesus, God the Son, we already explored this. He walked this earth seeing people. And he gets to the grave as Mary and Martha weep at the, at the death of their brother Lazarus. And what does it say Jesus did? Jesus wept. Do you weep with those who weep? Jesus did. And the Holy Spirit was promised, and the Holy Spirit is called what? He's given a name. What's his name? He's the Comforter. And so, I wonder, I wonder for those of us who say, you know, John, I'm glad I can be self-aware and I want to be God-aware, but this other aware business leaves me cold. And if you say that, then I wonder if you know the gospel. Then I wonder if and I, I have, you have to ask, am I a Christian? I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but you have to ask, if I am unmoved by the Son of God, we are told in Hebrews chapter 4, we are told that we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens. This passing through the heavens is passing down. He has condescended to us in our misery. He saw us and He cared enough to come to us. And then it says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. No. He sympathizes with you because He was tempted like you in all things. Every dark and wicked place where your heart goes, Jesus has been. That's what this verse says. He understands you. Every selfish thought, every lustful deed, every greedy moment in your heart, Jesus has come there. He knows it. He understands it. He has sympathy with the pressures you are under, and He loves you, and He welcomes you to come to Him. If you are unmoved by this, are you a Christian? Because He loves you so much. He loves you. His yes, Y-E-S, written over your head. And we're so grateful, aren't we? And because He has done this for us, in the cross, the ultimate giving of Himself, and in the resurrection, the transforming power is given to us. We then come alongside others. I'll just tell you, I am still clumsy at this. Maybe you, are, you want to join the clumsy club, but let's, let us 
come to the Lord, to be other aware, more sensitive, and caring and engaging with others as Christ has with us. And then point three, turn over your sermon outline. You see quickly these two points. That Galatians 5.13 says, through love serve one another, and you love and serve by valuing the other. I've already told you, every human being you meet is made in the image of God, and this is true. People matter to God. So, do people matter to you? People matter to God. High and low, male and female, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, black and white. People matter to God. Do they matter to you? We value people because of this. And then, the New Testament, the examples that we saw earlier in the service. Wasn't it just fun to hear the Scripture reading that's probably rarely read in church at the end of Romans 16? It's, 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 we, just, we don't have a lot of theology in it, so we skip it over, but don't skip it. It's in the Bible. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria, that you may welcome her in a way worthy of the saints. And help her in whatever way she may need from you. Or he speaks about his new friends. He made new friends in Corinth. I guess Paul moved to Corinth and was lonely. He moved to Corinth and he was lonely. And then he says, 1 Corinthians 16, 17, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus because they made up for your absence. And they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Thank you, God, for Stephanus, Fortunatus. And he honors them. You see, it is important to honor other people, but not just your friends, even people in whom, with whom you're having conflict. And now, this is a new thought for some of us, okay? This is a new thought. When you're in conflict with someone... You should value them because your impulse is to disdain, have disdain for the other person. But I just want you to think about this. Men, when your wife is furious with you, when she is flown off the handle at you, it's right at that point, men, when you need to say, just put up your hands and say, wait, just a moment. I feel like you think I'm your enemy. I don't want to be your enemy. I value you. I want to be your husband. I value your opinion, so help me understand what's going on inside your mind. But then I hope that you will value me. I hope that you'll also want to hear how I'm processing things too, because this would be very helpful for us. You see, when you do that, it de-escalates and it allows for a healthy conversation. Will you do that? You can do that. Honoring another person, it flows right from the Ten Commandments. It flows from the Fifth Commandment, honor your father and mother. And that's especially true in relationships where one has authority over another, the boss, the employee, the principal, the teacher, the parent, the child, the grandparent, you know, the police officer, the people. Citizens should respect those in authority. 
over them. Yes, that's very true, but the, the Bible teaches we should also honor everyone. Treat them with dignity and affirmation. Even the elders of the church. You know, the Bible goes out of the way to tell us to be grateful for our elders. And I tell you, I'm so proud to be a pastor of a church with the elders that we have who lay down their lives for you, who pray for you, who give time, so much time for us. Just honor them. Thank God for them. And your Sunday school teacher, small group leader, home fellowship group leader, Awana leaders, give thanks and honor them for their service. And then point number four, love and serve by encouraging others. And all I can tell you is that a huge part of relational wisdom, a huge part of other awareness and other engagement is learning how to encourage other people. Apparently, the apostles sometimes gave people nicknames. You ever given your buddy or somebody a nickname? They gave people nicknames. And in Acts chapter 4, there was a guy named Joseph, but they didn't call him Joseph. You know what they called him? They called him Barnabas. Isn't that interesting? Luke actually tells us what the name Barnabas means in Acts 4.36. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Isn't that beautiful? Wouldn't it be nice if people wanted to nickname you Mr. Encouragement? Misencouragement. What a name. When we get together, our goal is that people don't leave discouraged, they should leave encouraged. Every prayer meeting, every fellowship group, every youth group gathering, every time we're together. 1 Thessalonians 5:11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And in this church, I do see it. I do see it. And so do our guests. We send out a card to people after they visit us for the first time, and we ask for feedback. We send out a little card, and people send, it's called the first impressions card. And you know, what we often get, what did you like most? It's not the sermon. What did you like most? The warmth of the people, that I was welcomed. The bagels and coffee and fellowship. The love of the church. Isn't that beautiful? Encourage one another. A couple years ago, someone said the sermon. But just kidding. Build one another up. You know... In, in his book, Emotional Intelligence, uh, Travis Bradbury compiles an, uh, an assessment of a woman who's a CFO of a small company, chief financial officer of a small company, and she, her name is Gail. And this is what the people who worked under her had to say about Gail. Listen to this. Gail is very sensitive to others and tries to make situations better. When someone is upset, she asks just enough questions to get a handle on the situation, and then is able to give concrete advice and help to the person, making them feel 100% better. Gail 
makes you feel smart and confident when she delivers feedback, even if you've made a mistake. Wouldn't it be nice if someone wrote that about you? You see, Gail scores high in relational wisdom. She's aware, she's engaged, she's loving and serving the other people. To encourage someone is just to put wind beneath their wings and help them move forward. That's what we want because the life of Jesus does that for us. I'm going to conclude by just taking you back to the video clip that we saw this young man. His smile was beautiful. He loved people as he smiled and greeted them. And there is a transforming power to the smile. He showed us empathy. Because you see, this woman is trying to push the cart. The beggars are hoping the little girl can go to school if they can get some money. The old lady locks herself behind her door and lives lonely and afraid. And he, with empathy, steps into their world, into their life. Can you do that? You can. Do you know why? You can. Because you are the little girl, the urchin, dirty and helpless. You are the old woman trying to push the cart up onto the sidewalk. Do you see? You are the dog who is hungry and need the bread of heaven to feed you. That's you. And Jesus has seen you and come to you. Now you go. Go and hear. Do you hear today the call of the kingdom of God in your life? To go and to love each person with dignity, respect, value, and with a smile, and to bless them. Let us pray. Oh, our Father, how we thank you for yourself forgetting other engaging love. Jesus, the Son of God, how we thank you that you sympathize, empathize, and console us in our weakness. O oh Lord, come. Forgive us. We, we who now need to say, I do want to like people, enable us to like people and to be the blessing you want us to be as your agents your children, your ambassadors in this world. We pray for husbands. Right now, Lord, we pray that husbands would love their wives. We pray that wives would engage, respect, bless, love their husbands. That parents would understand their children, comfort, encourage them that children would honor and value, deeply value their mom and dad. That in this church family, Lord, no one would be despised and each person would be honored. We ask this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you've heard the call. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?
Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.